Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Cyber Security Recruiter Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Bob Hillary, who is the founder and chief operations officer at Guardians. Bob is also a member of HTCAI. So he was a member of HTCI between the year 2000 and 2008 for eight years. Bob has also been a SANS instructor for around the same time period, eight years. Bob has been involved with national security and cyber research at the University of New Haven for just over 14 years. And currently, he holds the position of founder and chief operations officer at Guardians and has done so for coming up to 19 years. Bob, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Doing very well. Thank you very much, Thomas. Good, good. No, no, worries. No, no worries at all. Thank you for coming on. Every For those listening, every time me and Bob fully interact, we always get chatting. And I, th- I think we've think we broke the record for the longest off-air chat, but that's not surprising for me or you. We like to get stuck in, don't we? Hi. <laughs> <laughs> I was an instructor or a professor for far too long. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. But um, step recovery program, and I'm failing. <laughs> but Bob, I'll start where I always start. I've, I've done you a bit of an introduction. I always think I can never do it as well as you. If you could start off by telling me and the, the listeners who you are and, and what you've been up to, that'd be great. Oh, certainly. Thank you. Once upon a time, I was a deck officer in the Merchant Navy, Merchant Marine, tankers and container ships as I started sailing out of Canada and then fell into the U.S. Navy for a bunch of years, worked around the world there. And in the course of that, came into technology, computers and the like as computers were growing up, taking over the world, perhaps. And uh, then I realized that the people around me didn't understand them and that some of the best things I could do was help them understand. And that's where I fell into the instructional part. And here I am. Yeah, very good. But why do you think this is such, I was listening to a podcast the other day about the amount of people that have served for their country that, that come into InfoSec cybersecurity. What, what do you th- why, why do you think that is? Do you think there's a particular reason for that or? That's a complex question, uh, much more complex than it sounds. Uh, <laughs> I think a, a lot of it is that the people who gravitate to the service to begin with have an interest in serving, of course, mm. and security, securing their mm. community, mm. the nation, or their own stuff. And when you start looking around, everything is cyber, there's a connection to everything, whether it's the earbuds plugged into our ears or the the screens we're speaking on or the point of sales terminals we use at any shop of any kind. And every time we'd look at any kind of news online or that old fashioned flat white stuff paper, they, uh, they, they tell us that somebody has been breached because everything is connected to everything else. I, I think that the tendency is that they're interested in the security and Everything is cyber, so that fits. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, so, so, I say so many people that are from that background come in, and it's yeah, it's just a, just an interesting point. But yeah, Bob, as I come on to my 
my first question, if you like. I know we're going to talk about a lot about offensive security and effective report writing and scoping and pitfalls and engagements and rules of engagements and, and things like that. I know you, you've been involved with education. You, you've taught a lot of people, a lot of things in and around security. The whole reason I wanted to start the podcast in the first place was because since remote working, I think especially at the junior end of the market and even at the mid to senior end, that learning through osmosis has disappeared. So I think the kind of uh, learning material that's online is just increased in value and importance as time's gone on. The question is, what do you think holds career growth back? What should people do and focus on to make sure their security progression, career progression is running at an optimal rate? Let me check my crystal ball. <laughs> it's all fog. What holds people back? What should people do for career progression? What holds them back may be understanding basics, the fundamentals. So many people today, when they go into any of the cybersecurity environment, want to immediately start as a penetration tester or a security analyst or a system administrator without understanding where the electrons are going or what the basic signals are. When the first protocols were invented for the internet in the 1960s and 70s, which sadly to me sounds not, not all that far away, but I look back at it and it's good God, that's ancient history. <laughs> Where's my stone chisel? The problem is those protocols are still out there. Mm. That's how it all works. Mm. TCP, IP. By the way, that's two protocols. If you don't understand that's two entirely different protocols and you really only need one of them for a network, you are at a disadvantage when you start thinking about how to break into a network and of course, how to secure it. So the traditional presumptions of, I only need to know what's out here right now is horribly flawed. The speed of change is phenomenal. If I joked about a crystal ball, if you could tell me what's going to happen in three months, I'd be thrilled. And three months is an incredibly short time window for anything more than a two-person organization. A learner must be a constant learner. You have to have the passion to figure out, what's that? Why did that happen? And go find out. Don't take someone else's answer. Dig into it. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree, Bob. And let's say th three months is no time at all. Our, our industry moves so fast, things change so quick. You, let's say you're absolutely right. You need that constant hunger and want and desire to learn. Just to pick you up on, on a point, you, you mentioned there about the basics are missing. If I'm sat here now thinking, God, you know what? It's been a boom market in hiring in 2021, 2022. Things have settled down. Maybe I'm sat here feeling a bit of imposter syndrome because I've got away with some stuff and I, and I know in my heart of hearts, there is some more foundational stuff I should know. Any tips for those listeners listening that, that know that they need to get under the bonnet and under the skin a bit more and, and dig deeper with, with, with some of that knowledge? Sure. All of the original TCP IP volumes, the big, thick, hardbound book should be on your shelf. There's two of them. And essentially any of the foundation Unix, POSIX sorts of languages, 
get an old laptop, uh, an, an old computer, mm-hmm. and install basic Linux or, or better yet, FreeBSD Unix on that laptop. That's it, because it'll be a beast. You'll have dependencies. And I love Ubuntu. I love Debian-based Linuxes because they're easy and nobody has time these days to fiddle mess around with all the other, all the other different things you have to do. Is apt get, boomf, go, update, please. But what you should do is take a raw Linux, and the joke is to roll your own. Build this from the ground up so that you have a graphic environment and not a complex graphic, something simple like XFCE, a uh, simple X Windows environment. Just do that. It may take you a while, and you may not do it all at once. Fiddle with it. And you, you've the best way to learn that is to do it. One of the things that has been a constant, I, I think the guys that work with me, tired of me saying it is we are all experts in the problem i had to solve yesterday i don't no idea what something else means and don't have any need to yet but to understand those foundations the fundamentals is to really understand what's going on because all computers are stimulus and response you do something it does something if it does something without you asking You've got a completely different problem. <laughs> this is the seeds of a sci-fi novel or horror movie, right? It's not supposed to ask you things first. You know that just yet. <laughs> Alexa, shut up. <laughs> uh, if a computer does something and you don't know why, you need to go figure out what was the stimulus. Because mm. there was one. Mm. Mm. And you may not see it. And in organizational uh, networking challenges, there isn't enough time to look at all the logs that you should be gathering. Uh, Most don't gather all the logs they should. You need to ask yourself, if things went bad, what would I need to go look at to figure out what happened? And if you don't have that being logged, you're already at a disadvantage. And in order to do that and know that, you have to understand what's going on at the basics, which takes me all the way back to just go install Linux someplace the hard way. Yeah, no, cool. So basically, just to summarize for everyone, so the foundational books are out there. Get them, read them. You, you, you said something to me just before we came on. It was something, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but it was it's okay not to know something as long as you we were talking about something that I wasn't aware of and, and you said, that's cool. Just go away and learn it. So it's taking that same. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And this is the thing that one reads many different places in any field. How do you get wisdom about an, an, uh, something going on? Experience. How do you get experience making mistakes? Hmm. Oh, so do not be afraid to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Be aware of your environment to make sure that they are survivable mistakes (laughs) yeah Yeah, cool and i presume the logic behind the old laptop is if you're pushing a system to its limits you don't want to you want to get the blue screen of of death or something like that you don't well in linux there is no blue screen it can lock up and do a whole lot of other things kernel panic um and you go yeah okay (laughs) delete reinstall okay cool and and this is so that you're not on a network you're not going to mess anything up and once you get that running, you recognize all of those pieces are required for this thing to work. It, it's, the network 
when you understand what's going on, it is a fascinating environment. It's also bloody amazing the damn thing works at all, but that's <laughs> anyway. Yeah, thanks. Well, I think another thing, just to just to make, I, I love the fact you've just said as well. It's okay to make mistakes, and that sounds fairly simple. But like, even just for me to say that now, it's like it's really nice. You know what I mean? Because I think sometimes we can get so hung up, and like, there's a lot of sometimes there's a lot of pressures on people these days with social media and this, that, and the other. And I think just to hear those words, I think. I can imagine people listening now that that helping them. Yeah, and and I don't mean that to be a a, a blanket get out of jail free card. Mm. A, a, a dear friend, mentor, former commanding officer, mentioned to me once, Bobby, never make the same mistake once. Excuse me, Captain, could you say that again slowly for the kids in the back? <laughs> and he said, other people are making loads of mistakes all around you get your head out and look around and make sure you're aware and don't repeat them okay so be careful which mistakes you make yeah. and learn from them yeah yeah the, the other old saw is we relearned that no you didn't you didn't learn it the first time you can't use the word re <laughs> Cool. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. So I'll, uh, I'll move on to the, to the next question. So on, I want to talk about effective report writing. I know you've been in the game for a long time. You guys have got, Guardians have got a good name in the, in the space. You're a group of real low-level professionals. I want to talk about good and bad reporting. So if I'm listening, I'm a pen tester. We all know that loads of work goes into a pen test, but we all know that especially non-technical stakeholders, as far as they're concerned, it's just that report that they're paying a, a, fair, a fair sum for. What's a good report and a, and a bad report in, in your eyes, Bob? Report helps the client improve the network. A bad report collects dust. Can you elaborate? <laughs> Gee, I think I can. Yes. <laughs> the, it really depends on what are you reporting and to whom are you reporting? And very often when you're doing something in, in a client or consulting space, there's more than one audience. So the report, ours, our reports have different sections and they are intentionally tailored to those different audiences. One has to be for someone who has very little time, may have foundation technical knowledge, but hasn't been doing it for a while because they've slid up to management. And for all I know, they still think Perl is still a cool language, but that's an inside joke. The, but they need to know what was found and why it matters in a business context or an organizational context, which means, of course, the consultant has to understand that too in order to write it and convey it. Yeah. Consultants have to be able to write clearly, write engagingly and concisely to deliver the message the client needs. You may not care how cool and geeky your finding was. Yeah. There's somebody else in the company who does, and that should be like next section or one after that's a, a much more technical <laughs> finding. But you've got to understand that a report has to hit multiple audiences. Okay. Okay. And we are actually changing 
some of the look and feel in our reports constantly in order to evolve the things the client needs and the things all of us are learning. We've recently done a, a revision that looks at some of the things for neurodivergent experiences, people who have visual or processing challenges, so that you have to have something other than Arial 12 point <laughs> kind of font. You've got to do something different to make sure, and you have to be careful of what colors you use for those who may have color vision challenges. What are we trying to say? So it, it gets to be pretty complex. And a good report is a report that hits all of that. The client says, I get it. Wow. Thank you. I got something that I got to go fix. Yeah, that's what you want. And that, you know, that makes hackers happy as well. It, it makes the client happy for, well, it makes the client see the value and, 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 and gets them to make the changes. But also I know from, as I'm sure you do, that makes the hackers happy. They get, I think sometimes people can complain on the pen testing side that my vulnerabilities aren't getting fixed, but it's probably, as you've just made very clear, there's a bit more to it than that. There's a skill to getting your vulnerabilities fixed, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. And, and it's hard. Some vulnerabilities cannot be fixed. When you deal with a medical environment mm -hmm. and you consider the certification process for many of the systems before they're allowed to be used in a medical environment, and you're going to have a three-month patch cycle, mm -hmm. not happening, Scout. Not happening. Mm -hmm. So what you've got to do is help a client look at the overall architecture of their environment and mitigate the risk. You don't eliminate it, but you mitigate it. Yeah. And you put in sensors so you can see that. Did anybody come in here and check that out? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So just, for, just to break that down, so really understanding your audience in the first place, understand that you're going to have variables within that audience and catering for that in what 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 you just called sections within the in the report. Um, explaining why it matters, having the skill to articulate yourself in a written format clearly and concisely. And never, never relaxing. All the reports constantly evolving, changing, improving. It's in like a continuous improvement process. Just one question I've got off the back of that. If I'm listening now, I'm thinking, listen, that all sounds great. And, and as I said, make it engaging. And so if someone's looking, wants to be recruited, they should learn to write well. You don't do that necessarily writing technical reports. Go take a poetry class. Yeah. That was my, I'm not yeah. kidding. Learn to yeah. write well. And yeah. that is not a technical issue. Yeah. I know you're not kidding because I can remember we spoke about this. We spoke about this before, so I know you. I know you've been serious. And I was just about to say, if my if I know my report writing, say I'm popping shells all the time, I'm finding vulnerabilities left, right, and centre. But I know I've got to improve my report writing. Take a poetry class, and, and let's say we're being deadly serious when we say that. Anything else that that could enhance those skills? Creative writing, read broadly. Reading as if you were an editor 
everything you read, you, you may need a stiff drink after the first three <laughs> or four. Um, you, you start to realize how abysmally many things are written and how inaccurately words are used or how they're misused, perhaps intentionally. Yes, yeah, stay away from politics. You yeah. won't go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> There, and that ties in about 15 minutes ago you said the best way to do something is sorry to learn something is to do it and yeah. i know you're a sounds instructor i've had other instructors on the pod and everyone has mirrored what you've just said there and that ties in with what you've just said if you want to improve your technical writing or your report writing you've got to go and do something to improve that so yeah thank, thanks for that i think i'm just going to move on to pitfalls mm-hmm. in, in in scoping i know from doing my own job lis- listening to what your customers saying on what they want is absolutely vital and it's like what you uh, i can see how this is so applicable to to scoping out a pen test or writing a report and i just wanted to talk about what do you see as the biggest pitfalls in scoping a pen testing engagement there are a lot of them so picking biggest is both easy and difficult because where, where do you stop but it goes back to the awareness and the communicating. By reading as an editor, as I just suggested, you'll learn to spot others' errors. And many of them are not intentional. When you're doing scoping with a client or when we do scoping with a client, we may or may not be talking to the actual technical person on the keyboard with some (laughs) intermediary sometimes. So they're, using words, phrases, and ideas that they got from someone else. So it's like the little game of telephone that's in grade schools, (laughs) that kids whisper in each other's ear and you figure out what comes out the other end. You have to be very aware that can happen and it's not intentional. Nobody in the process is dumb. It's, I didn't, I thought that's what they meant thing. And the person doing the scoping has to be aware of that and listen and also know what questions to ask. You've got to ask probing questions. Do so in a way that gets the information that you really need. So the pitfalls are not knowing why the client needs a particular test. Could it be Uh, a recent regulation that now requires something for compliance. Could it be an insurance adjuster has said, we have this new box you need to tick on your insurance application form. Could be that perhaps, and we have had this happen, one firm has acquired a second firm, a smaller company, and they want it tested. Okay, this is going to be interesting. You you have to try very hard to make sure it does not accidentally develop into an adversarial relationship because it can, and it's not supposed to be. Uh, So the consultant doing the scoping has to remember that it is not adversarial and that they have to listen and they have to educate the client because a client may be asking the wrong question. You don't need a pen test. I can do that within the first hour. 
we're done. We penetrated you. It's over. I've got all your data. Mm. <laughs> what you really need is to figure out where those holes are, where your risks are. What does the client need and what do they need today? They need to satisfy that checkbox for the compliance. But if you do it right, the client also recognizes, here's somebody who understands my problem <laughs> and my business, and maybe I can help them. Maybe I can have them help me avoid risk. Because if you think you have not been hacked, you may need to look at logs. What logs? Ah, yes, there we are again. Yeah, thank you, Bob. Very good, very detailed. So awareness, communication, understanding who you're speaking to. You might not necessarily be speaking to uh, the guy or girl who's hands on keyboard. So you've got to be aware, again, aware of your audience. Know what questions to ask. Know why a test is taking place. A PCI DSS test is going to be very different from, for example, a full chain red team engagement. And that's obviously a very high level example. We get the point. And yet understanding how the test has originated in, in the first place. But this might be a really difficult question to, to answer without being in the real life situation. But is there is there any way to get more skilled at asking probing questions or anything in particular you could give the listeners on that could be potentially helpful? I think that what you'd have to do is listen to other people asking questions, either in uh, a scoping environment or any other subject, but listen from a different perspective. Listen to the question. Don't worry about the answer. Don't worry about the topic. You don't even have to understand the topic. Listen to how a question predetermines the universe from which the answers will come. No question is value-free. Every time I ask a question, I'm setting up where your head's going to go to look for the answer. And you've probably already started doing that before I finish the bloody question. That's that you just have to change the way you listen to the question and you realize that's not the right question. If I said, what are you doing for lunch today? What? Why do you care what I'm doing for lunch? Mm -hmm. That's not my real question. My real question is, can you take a meeting? Can you go travel? Can you go to a museum? Can you, I really have some other question down the line that I haven't gotten. What's the real question? Mm. Have you had a pen test? Wait, why do you care whether or not there's been a pen test? What you want is what are the results? Mm. What is your security? What are your residual risks after your network was last evaluated? Is the real question. Yeah, I like that, Bob. I like that. There'll be someone, if you're not feeling confident on probing questions and getting the, the information out of the client, there'll be someone, chances are there'll be someone in your organization that's pretty, pretty damn good at it and, yeah, essentially lock onto them. <laughs> yeah, find that person and listen. Or see that person as a, a newscaster, a, a teacher, a professor, anybody consider some of the uh, extension courses that are available at various 
colleges and universities where you can get into communications and questioning. They're out there. Consider those. It's a different way of thinking to figure out what questions should be asked. Mm. Cool. Thanks for that. And so my next question, Bob, is rules of engagements documents. Very important. Can you describe what a good rules of engagement doc should look like in today's market? I can. It will depend on the engagement for what the different risks are. But the rules of engagement have to say there's no such thing as zero risk. (laughs) You have to tell me what I'm allowed to test. You know, you mess that up, all bets are off. (laughs) (laughs) And it should really hold both parties for harmless for errors and omissions at some level. There's some basic professional competence that's presumed has to be. Mm. Uh, But beyond that, I throw a packet in your direction and who knows, especially with the list of vulnerabilities that we get on our screens every morning. The register is one of my favorite reads (laughs) and the logo is a buzzard for a reason. (laughs) The rules of engagement have to be, I'm allowed to do this, I'm not allowed to do that. There are two approaches to that as well. One is prescriptive, what you can do and don't do anything else. The other is proscriptive, don't do this. Everything else is on the table. Cool. The former might be in a healthcare environment. I'm allowed to do this. Don't mess with that machine. Proscriptive could be it's a printing company. You know, I, I mess up a t-shirt. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I it really depends. Like- have to be detailed and you've got to know in the rules of engagement, you've got to play in your mind a head game what can go wrong and if it does are we going to be in trouble yeah i really like what you said as well about they're telling you what you're allowed to test because i can imagine that prevents a lot of not arguments but yeah it, 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 it can save a lot of hassle later down the line shall we say when you're doing testing and the client says hey is this you and they give you uh, an alert indicator or something, and you go, no, <laughs> it's not us. <laughs> cool. Anything else on rules of engagement, Bob? Or do you think we've we've covered it nicely just there? Um, be prepared to change your rules of inde- engagement document next engagement. <laughs> cool. Very um, good. The, the entire industry remembers that organization that had a – very unfortunate misunderstanding with local law enforcement in the U.S. Midwest about two years ago, three years ago, something like that. A couple of consultants ended up in jail because they didn't have a comprehensive rules of engagement document. (laughs) And they didn't let all the right people know. Yeah, quite an important document. So, uh, Bob, so 
findings, report findings. We briefly touched on it about 15 minutes ago about mm-hmm. just one thing, finding stuff. If you, if you can't get it fixed, you, you're not really, you're not doing the, the full job of a, of a pen test. So I think this question, next question is really important. So how do I, what's the best way to communicate my report findings to technical, um, non-technical people? And also just communication in general. Again, I know we spoke about this a couple of, two or three weeks back, I think, and you were saying how much of an emphasis you, you put on people that can communicate well. And we were talking, I think we might have been be talking about poetry then as well and saying how that can help. Real long-winded way of saying, uh, how do I communicate my findings effectively and how do I keep or get my communication skills sharp? Short and to the point. Bullet points. What did I do? What happened? What was the vulnerability? How do I fix it? And then maybe a reference, whether it's a CVE number or something else on how to fix it from the software vendor. Here's their how-to or their readme or whatever. Boom, boom. Don't mess around. Don't fluff it up. I pressed enter. Your machine went (laughs) because this vulnerability, you need to change that parameter down in the Windows registry. This line, and here's the Microsoft reference. Boom. Next finding for a technical finding. There are some soft findings. Your log had 18 alerts. Nobody saw them. You have a process problem. Yeah. And then on some of those, your recommendation might be as simple as you need to work on that. (laughs) <laughs> and don't give them any more ideas. Yeah. Do you know what? I've found over, over the years, the more senior people I deal with, it's so true. They just want you to get to the point. They just don't want the flow. It's just it's so true. They, 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 they really appreciate it. The, the, the flip side is that the, the report, as you said, is the long-term takeaway that the group has for their own future study mm. and for recognizing Hey, when that pen test was, we fixed a lot of good. Who was that outfit? <laughs> Your logo has to be up there on every page so that they can know where to go again. Right? Cool, Bob. Cool, Bob. Uh, yeah, yeah. Something <laughs> like that. Um, you know, shameless plug insert here. The, but, you know, for example, we're actually dealing with some clients now who want absolute minimal reporting, if any. They want us to work with the, their t- on-site team to input these things into their own problem trackers. And we're good with that. We can do that. Mm-hmm. So there, you talk about minimum fluff. It's not. It's over, in the, over there in that spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. But then what do you have for long term? What do you have for the boardroom to understand what's going on? So there still needs to be a little something. And that goes back to our earlier discussion about the reports always evolving Mm. for what the client needs, because the last thing you need to do is bore the client with another 55 page report. How often do you review the report? How often would you look to change stuff or is it just as and when, is there a set time parameters or? I'm looking at them so often that I couldn't give you a reliable, you should look at the reports this often and we fortunately have a diverse enough 
client base that the reports have a lot of differences from place to place. I would say if you've got a working report system in an organization, don't go messing with it just because a calendar date rolled by. On the other hand, if you haven't made any changes to it in a while, you, you might need to have a couple of people break off and take a deep dive. Cool, yeah. I really like what you said as well about the report having that long-lasting effect. Like I can imagine if if someone's end client, if a new CFO comes in and they start looking at what's been spent and this, that, and the other, if the report's fantastic, that, that, that's going to really make a big difference in terms of longevity and repeat business and stuff like that. So it's perhaps not always for any immediate uh, feedback or anything like that. It, it, it could it could also be a long term play for. The, the business and everything like that, couldn't it? It is, but remember that the clients are not monolithic either. And often what can happen is the client sees a report two years after your initial work with them mm-hmm. that has the same vulnerability listed as a finding. And depending upon who your direct point of contact and audience is, this is either senior management not giving the IT security shop the resources that they needed. And it gives them ammunition to go back and say, we got the same vulnerability. And oh, by the way, our competitor just lost 18 million because they got hit by it. (laughs) So could we like fix this one, please? It's been there for (laughs) two years and I need the following resources. So you can help again with that client education piece improve their overall security uh, by comparing the reports over time as well cool thank you bob you've progressed obviously to found a you know he- heavy lead- leadership position i want the podcast to help juniors mid seniors them i want it to help fellow business owners as well. What have you, what do you know now that you wish you knew? You've been at the helm of Guardians for just shy 20 years. So what do you know now that you wish you knew 10, 15 years ago about running the business? I would say that what I would focus more on would be solid players who could work as a team and continue to improve with less emphasis on just hiring a rock star. The, every football team, every sports team has the one person that everybody identifies with. And they're not the ones scoring all the points or making everything work. There's a lot of other people there and they need more effort, attention, resources than you may be giving them because you're focusing on the one cool person. I love that answer. I really love, and I just want to. I just want to unpack a few more things. So essentially, the power of a cohesive team all working together—it just can't be. Even if someone's a rock star, that it's not going to match the power of a 
business or, or uniform running together. And that's where it's at. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. Mm. It, it takes the entire group, not the one person. And real leadership is not doing it yourself. Real leadership is providing people the resources and the opportunity to make those mistakes as long as you use your skill to make sure that there's a fence or a safety rope. Mm. Don't let them get into too much trouble. (laughs) (laughs) But they have to actually do things in order to improve. And your goal should be for them to all improve. Yeah. Mm. Very good. I'm going, I'm going to go way off subject here, but there's a documentary just come out on Netflix about David Beckham, the the, the football player, and I don't know if everyone. This just oh, goes yeah. out. Have you seen it? I haven't seen it, but okay, I, okay, it's, okay. It's on the list. It's on that yeah, list. okay, okay. What what you've just said there is it, just bringing. I've only just started. I've just seen a couple of episodes, but the way that. Sir Alex Ferguson manages managed him, and if we talk about rock stars, see David Beckham fairly. Oh yeah, <laughs> pretty much definitely firmly fits into that category. But yeah, it's. I think you're going to really enjoy it. But uh, what, what you just said there is very much how he managed and got Man United to be successful. But yeah, no, you. I'm not. I don't want to ruin it for you because you haven't, we haven't seen it yet. It's on your list. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> But no, yeah, you, no, you just made it move up on the list. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, you'll you'll love that. You've given us. I think I really like that answer, Bob. Is there anything else in terms of when it comes to actually running the actual business and leadership? That was a wicked answer, by the way. But I just want to check if there's any other little nuggets you've you've maybe got for me as well. Actually, it's interesting. Keep it moving forward. If you've got business partners or parts of the organization that aren't working particularly well, squeaking a bit, <laughs> one, t- one tire is a little bit flat, see if you can get it fixed and be prepared to make some changes earlier than you might have. That's a tough one sometimes. Mm. Mm. Yeah. You have to know when to let go and th- that's difficult yeah. sometimes. Yeah. But one of the things in our previous discussion was around this same area. One of the things that we have is a, uh, an organizational meeting for all of the actual operators. And so in in a very large sense, while I may have uh, only one or two people assigned to an engagement with a particular client, they're never really alone. They're a couple of keystrokes away from anybody else who can say, hey, how does this work? What does that do? I just had this come back. It doesn't make any sense to me. So they're not really alone. They work as a team that's larger than those on a particular assignment. And the only way that works goes back to an example that I've used multiple times with mine, and that is having those people in your organization understand what your intent is and the intent is to improve the client's security posture reduce their risk 
and have them understand what to do with it. So like commander's intent, if you will, to use a military term mm. or to dip into history like we've done before. Once upon a time before Egypt, before Trafalgar, Admiral Nelson would have the captains of the squadron row over and he'd have the dinner on victory. And they'd talk about many things. And this was so that they knew his mind. Because once the battle starts, particularly in those days, the, the noise, the smoke, the, the shells, I got no idea. Signal flags behind clouds of cannon smoke. They had to know the commander's intentions because no plan survives first contact. We want to do this. Damn it, the French went where? <laughs> and one of Nelson's classic lines when asked by one of the captains what he should do in a certain situation, Nelson apparently glared at him and said, no captain can do very wrong who lays his ship alongside the enemy. Which is a shut up and get it done, sport. <laughs> Got to tell you what? <laughs> no. <laughs> and But this, again, goes to situational awareness, knowing the client, knowing the overall environment, knowing in general what we're trying to do. It's not to solve every single vulnerability that we find. It's to solve the ones that can kill the company right off the bat. Put the ones that we know they can't change because there are software versions that will not update on the age of the machines that they have. And they've got 5,000 of them, so they're not updating all of those this week. <laughs> so we put that behind some kind of a firewall so it's at least instrumented and blocked. And these are the changes. So and when the staff understand that this is the overall concept, they can do things on their own. And then the really hard part is letting them. Yeah. They won't do it the way you want. But is it going to work? Okay, fine. Mm. Let yeah. it go. Yeah. I've heard that before. I got this recruitment trainer, Bob, and he, he said to me at one point, he was like, Tom, look, if you do it, it'll be 10 out of 10. But if someone else does it, it'll be like 7, 8 out of 10. He went, that's okay. Do you know what I mean? But it, it, is, it is hard. <laughs> it is hard protective over the Ingalium's brand for, for all the right reasons. And I really like what you said. I know in conversations we've had about some off-air air stuff we've talked about, you talked about always having, and you just mentioned it again, then always having someone someone very close to, there might be always having someone really close to a particular project that really gets the, the vision, the goal, perhaps a bit more experience, really understands your ethos and values and mission and stuff like that. And I think for people expanding and stuff, that must be, to have key strong pillars in the right spots must make your life a, a bit easier, less stressful, I would imagine. Oh, absolutely. Those people are essential. They are valuable beyond what you can pay them, <laughs> no matter what you pay them. And they need to know that. They need to be appreciated. That's a simple human requirement. And they need to have the opportunity to do what they do well. So we, we have people in the right places and we sometimes move people around so that they fit well or do the things they want to do better. Um, I have one particular consultant who's exceptionally good, but he didn't want to do 
certain parts of the work anymore. He just, uh, so he has really become an, an associate director of operations. And so he works client facing and he organizes the teams, but he deeply understands what's going on. Uh, but the overall improvement and the feedback from the clients is superb. Mm. So it reinforces that letting him get back from the keyboard a little and more to the client interaction space, delivering the report, explaining the report has really paid off. Mm -hmm. This is a career opportunity wherever he goes. He has the opportunity to grow those skills. We hope he stays here. But if he goes off and creates his own company or does something somewhere else, more power to him. We have a number of people from our organization that are out running their own organizations now. And they're still friends. You know, mm -hmm. There's more than enough work out here, kids. Oh. Yeah, yeah, no, there is. That's, that, I really like that. That's really nice, Bob. And just to pick you up on, on the last point, so with that particular chat that you just mentioned, so you've essentially then really, really played to his strengths. So then in turn, he's happier embracing his role more and the performance is, is showing in the end results. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Cool. I'm going to ask you quite, quite a big question here. What... I know we've covered some of this, but what characteristics and traits do you believe make up a really successful pen tester in, in today's market? Curiosity. Number one, curiosity. Why'd that happen? What's that? Where'd that come from? Imagine you're working on a network that has a business chunk and maybe an ICS control systems chunk, industrial facility manufacturing, if you will. Um, and all of a sudden you see uh, a protocol that Wireshark identifies as DICOM, D-I-C-O-M, and you go, wait, that's what's used for medical imaging, MRIs. What the hell is that doing here? You gotta go find out why. It didn't show up by magic. Remember the stimulus and response stuff. And you got to go find out why. And I'm not even going to answer it here. So curiosity. The next is humility. Oops, I screwed that one up. Yeah, okay. Own it. Stand up to it. Don't say, oh, but it was oh, because the, no. Mm -hmm. And, hey, this is new. Why is it, why, what's it doing? I don't know. I got to go find out. Humility, you don't always have to have an answer. And perspective, understanding where you fit in the picture, where the client fits in the picture, and how some much larger than we would like to admit chunk of all networks is messed up and never gonna get fixed. Because what's working is working well enough and will bounce along the next 18 months or whatever the cycle is and everything will be replaced by the next version and we'll have to bounce on not understanding that one <laughs> until we get to the one that comes after that so keep everything in perspective cool so curiosity humility see if you make a mistake 
own it, perspective, understand where you fit, understand where the client fits. And that it's always moving. That that there's a new version coming and nobody's going to be able to update everything and we'll go figure out the next one. Yeah. Yeah, I think that point, just to pick up on that, always moving, I just think that's so important. One of the questions I always like to ask candidates is what are you doing before you start and after you finish and what are you up to on weekends? Because, and like I say, going back to the questions, the probing questions is move so fast. If you chill out for six months in this this industry, it's probably not, not, not looking at anything in hospitality for six years. It's like security moves so quick. So, yeah. And, and you don't even to, have to, you don't have to just chill out. You don't even have to, you can be <laughs> working on a thing that you really like diligently for three, four, five, six months. And then your head comes up and you have to do a different kind of test. And you go, what the hell happened? <laughs> wow. <laughs> that changed. Wi-Fi 6? What's that? It's true. No, it's true. And then it goes back to it. You've got to be, it's almost a bit of a controversial thing to say you've got to be obsessive and all that these days with burnout and stuff like that. And I know burnout's a, it's a real thing, but yeah, you've certainly got to have huge levels of genuine passion. And you know. That's true. But, but if you look at it another way, sometimes that passion can be the solution to burnout. I've got one guy who was burned out on certain things and he's just a, a terrier and, and really loves Kubernetes, the container concepts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And getting him off the things that were burning him out and focused on this other stuff, he's a different person. And it's a good thing. This goes back to the leadership part you were talking about, Thomas, where you need to be aware of where your people's strengths are and how to use them best so that you can give that one the opportunity to say, y'all, y'all go down that rabbit hole for a while and, and recharge. Nibble the other side of the mushroom and come back when you feel better. Mm-hmm. Bob, I just want to ask you, I, I, I always, I often overrun and I can see me and you overrunning quite a lot and I, I know you're a busy chap, so I don't want to keep you too long, but I do really want to ask you something about what you've just said because you've picked up on two two really massive points, I think, for people leading teams and running business. You've mentioned the chap that you've moved him into a, a new role. He's now client-facing. The customer experience within your organization has been enhanced. He's happier. Mm-hmm. Customers are happier. Great. We've just talked about the Kubernetes chap, similar right. situation. You've revitalized them. You've re-energized them. If I'm sat there thinking, how did you spot that? How did it come about? Did you see that he was he or she was drifting off? Did you, as a, as a leader, how, how do you make that happen? Well, again, that, that comes to being aware of what's going on at all across the board. And it is more important for the leader, um, more important for the leader to have the whole picture, which is huge, and, and to be able to understand detail, but also the wide swath, the wide angle look. And when you see someone who's relatively well-liked and people start to turn their backs or they leave the room when he walks in or uh, he's just snapping at at the smallest things, you say, there's something going on. 
you take a look and you figure it out and you ask around and you say, what's, what's the problem with so-and-so? And the next thing you realize, oh, okay, let's try this shift. It's not a free lunch. It changes how the organization works, particularly in a smaller organization. It is not cost-free for that reason. They're doing one thing instead of the other, and the other still has to get done. So somebody else is now juggling, often me. <laughs> but it is critical to be able to do that. One of the things that is fascinating to me, having played in personnel both directly and peripherally, and as a recipient of people, for a very long time now, it is very clear that what's called churn or the turnover rate is much more expensive than almost anybody realizes out there, except those who play with the personnel question all the time. The people in companies, corporations, C-levels, they think they're saving money by hiring, firing, moving people around, changing salaries. No, you have no idea what intangibles you may have lost in the way of experience that were hard won and that matter, particularly the direct, the direct technical experience may be of less interest today because of that 18 month cycle and we moved on to a different language and I don't have that gadget to fix anymore. So no big deal, but the soft skills, the ability to write, the ability to communicate, the understanding of the client's job, you can't replace that overnight. And you lose massive amounts. So what I did with those two people was a defensive strategy. It was not because <laughs> I'd like to think I'm an altruist, right? And, and I put on my best Bernadette Benedict Cumberbatch face. and I, No, I'm not an altruist, damn it. <laughs> Dr. Strange, hell no. I'm in it for me. The <clears throat> It's a defensive strategy because it works better. Mm -hmm. It's better for that valuable asset who's going to continue to provide value mm -hmm. and better value mm -hmm. if you do it right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks. it really makes it, before you mentioned how about good leadership means not doing and you know you can't be doing it, and you know, I, I might be wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong, Bob. But you know you can't do all this if you in the weeds constantly. You, if you're looking around, us, it's, it's impossible. Now, worst thing in the world, yeah. Worst thing in the world leader can do is get in the weeds. Now, not never go down there every now and again, or ask the probing question, Smedley. Why do you think that happened? Yeah. Do you remember something called ICMP or? what have you. And they go, what? Huh? <laughs> we actually had a discussion a while ago, in one particular environment, challenging situation, and not because we wanted to use it necessarily, but because they needed to understand the concept about a very old Unix command line tool called Port Knocker for modifying rules for a firewall. And that's another one that I will leave out there as a question for the curious to go hunt. And no, we didn't want to use it, but we needed to understand that in order to set up a better architecture and a better firewall rule set. So by asking that question, everybody went, okay, 
don't bullshit the boss because he probably is going to pull something out. <laughs> Good fun. I really like as well. I, I like the because I agree. Look, I know there's some great private equity companies out there and stuff like that, but and, and I'm talking about when companies make these short term um, cuts and stuff like that. And I've you know I've got to be careful what I say because I've got some clients that are backed by PE. So yeah, but it's yeah, there is just so much there, and yeah, and I think if you're a good leader. I know this. I know the single biggest reason people take jobs and accept jobs and, and stick with jobs it, it, it is because of the person that hired them or the leadership. It's just absolutely huge. So yeah, you've given us some. Success. When you mentioned the industry and that sort of thing, you, you mentioned earlier that you had some really great successes in in, in hiring. Lots of increases in many companies uh, in 2021, and when we turn around and look at the news today, there's 7,000 laid off here, 8,000 mm. laid off there. Mm. And you go, okay, wait a minute. How many of those were hired in 2000? What has, what's the real cost to this organization? I think that in some of them, we're finding that out to their chagrin. Mm. <laughs> yes. They're yeah. deflating faster than popped balloons. Yeah. Yeah, it's, do you know what it is as well, Bob? It's obviously from my side, I, I get to know some of these guys and girls so well and they become like friends. So it's, you see the kind of the aftermath of it all as well. And it's, yeah, it's, I could talk about it for, for hours and hours. It's, yeah, I mean, I can, I can remember at one point, 2021 or 2022, lots of companies just screaming at me, we need more. And it's like, I can't do it that fast. We've got to, we've got to like, there is a process and we've got to do things. But yeah, no, it's, um, 2022 was crazy but it's uh, I think it all I wasn't going to really talk about the market but, but we are doing but I, I, what do you think I, I think it's starting to normalise out there's obviously there's a lot it, of it needs to level out it, it does I don't have enough knowledge to predict one way or t'other but I would say it needs to start levelling out because the rapid changes in either direction are wrong that kind of it, it it mimics mechanical oscillation like your your fan that's missing a blade <laughs> not a good idea level it out because when there are people problems management leadership they spend way too much time messing with it that they really should be doing other things yeah, and, and, and I think it's just a bit of sobriety in, in tech as well, Bob. I mean, there was one point, there was one point where if your revenue was going up and you were backed by the markets, VC money, whatever it was, your revenue was going up and your valuation was just following it, and it didn't really matter what the bottom line or the profit was, and that that just isn't. Management to understand their own business. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. But we're listen. I think we might be. We could be at the record for the longest show, which doesn't surprise me with with, with us. But I'm enjoying it, mate. I hope you are. I've got one more. One more question for you, and I know we've talked about it. For, for everyone listening, Bob Bob gave me some Christmas reading the other week. Maybe we'll. Maybe we'll. I'll see what your answer is to this next question. But the question is podcast or book which one which podcast or book has had the most positive effect on your security career so far or just positive effect on you wow <laughs> which week which list wow <laughs> more, more books than podcasts because of time i'm fortunate i don't have to commute very far but so i don't listen to podcasts much anymore but snow crash of course a classic 
if you haven't read that, shame on you. What are you doing here? The um, Your Christmas Reading, Where Wizards Stay Up Late, Katie Hafner. That's the basics, the fundamentals, and they all matter. I really like also, I think it's Gibson, William Gibson, Pattern Recognition, a novel. Has to do with VR a lot. Cool. If you can manipulate the background database, you manipulate what shows up on people's Google Glass or the Google map images or whatever. If I can manipulate that, what you think you're getting as an augmented reality, augmentation for mm -hmm. what's in the neighborhood as you look around at the restaurants or you move your iPhone around, I can change that. What do I have for control to shape things? And then Damon by Daniel Suarez gets into the AI question. Also, his, he's got a series of three or four of them. I, I recommend them all and in order. But the other one that's really frightfully prescient is called Kill Decision, again, by Suarez. Those are all things that we're actually dealing with today. I'm just purposely not saying anything because every time I just shut up, you just keep giving us more. So I'm just not saying anything, Bob. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. No, no listen, it's, it's brilliant. By the way, what, what I'll do is I'll put all these in the show notes when it's released. So for everyone listening, this goes across Apple, Spotify, Podcast Addicts, the YouTube channel, all across LinkedIn. And we'll put it in the show notes across every platform. So Snow Crash, Where Wizards Stay Up Late. Gibson Pattern Recognition, Damon, Damon by Daniel Suarez, and then also by Daniel Suarez, Kill Decision. Brilliant. He gave us five. That, that, that's definitely like a that's definitely a podcast record. <laughs> and they're all different. They're they're all different. They they run from the beginnings to what's going on this week. Cool. Brilliant, Bob. I think is is there anything else that I should have asked you that I haven't? Or no. Cool. To, to steal a line from the the anime version of oh, Ghost in the Shell. Got it. Ghost, Ghost in the Shell. <laughs> the original one, the anime version, not the later one with live action. The very ending scene after a human mind has been uploaded into an android. This android steps out of building a house and said, and, and where does the newborn go from here? As it becomes a web capable, internet capable AI, a sentience wandering around on its own. And, and that's the big question. Mm. I, I don't know where we go from here, no. but no. there's enough going on where people are rushing to implement and barely understand what the heck is going mm, on mm. and i just think regulators are so slow to catch up with things aren't they and stuff like that they just can't keep pace with the tech world when you consider how much how little we understand about the software bill of materials in the background for mm. any software that's out there how much code is reused yeah. um, that's why there's a lot of vulnerabilities out there <laughs> I'm not worried about work, yeah. Bob, thank you. That was a really good episode. I, I learned a lot myself that I'm sure the listeners have as well. So thank you for your time. We've almost been an hour and a half, so I really appreciate it. And I'm sure we'll, I'm sure we'll catch up soon. Thank you very much, Thomas. Pleasure being here. Take care. Cheers, cheers.